0: If you would stand with me, we're going to ask for God's blessing upon the reading and his blessing upon the preaching of his word. And then I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. Let's pray. Now, Father, we bring ourselves now to the, the exhortation and preaching of your mighty word. Lord, it's a saving word. It's a word that cuts to the very heart of our being It exposes who we really are. It tells us what's wrong and what's right. It shows us where we must go, the path we must take. And we pray, oh Lord, as we come now to this topic of worldliness, that you would come and aid us, help us, teach us, instruct us. Lord, help to to bring us into greater conformity to the blessed truth of Your Word. Lord, that's what we seek. We seek Your blessing. We seek to understand and to know what's right. And Lord, where we have gone, to the right or to the left, bring us gently back. Hold on to us. Lord, we know we're in a great battle. We know we're in a great battle with our own lust and desires. And we're in a great battle with the kingdom of darkness going on around us. And we need, oh Lord your tender guidance. So come and make the, the, the preaching this morning pleasing to yourself. Make it, Lord, effectual to us sinners and a blessing to your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, beloved, have you ever wondered what it means to be worldly? Now, that's not a word we hear much today in church, but it's one that I heard quite a bit when I came into the fellowship of Christians, when I when I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a very common word to use, and it was always used in the negative. Now, I'd like to address what you may think worldliness is this morning. You know, there's that fundamental understanding, I guess, and I don't mean fundamental as foundational, but fundamental as narrow, that worldliness is owning a larger TV than everyone else. That worldliness is buying a a new car every couple of years, having a very nice home. There are some who actually believe that those kinds of things are worldly. Now, beloved, I don't, I want you to understand that that's not exactly correct. And we need to know that. And the reason we need to know what worldliness is, well, first of all, the Bible does speak about worldliness. So we need to know what it is, right? We need to know what The Bible is telling us to believe or not to believe, to think or not to think. But we also need to know it so that when we hear this term used maybe against us, that we don't assume some false guilt, that we don't become falsely guilty because of some erroneous perspective. Now we need to be careful of that because brothers and sisters, let's be serious. There's a lot of terms and ideas thrown around and there's a lot of guilt slinging going on all over the place. In the church and outside the church. Terms and labels being used to do what? Shame and bring guilt. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. And we want to be careful of these kinds of things. We want to know that there is only one Lord of our conscience, and that is God, Christ, and His Spirit. That there is only one who can command the loyalty of our inner being, and that is God alone. And what he says must be our reality and must be our standard of truth. Amen. What he says must be what we march by, what we live by, what we are convicted by, what we hold to. And everything else must fall by the wayside. We need to know what the Word of God says. And this morning we are going to address this topic of worldliness. Now the first thing that I want to bring to your attention... Concerning this idea or this sin of worldliness is that it is simply that. It is a sin. Worldliness rightly understood, rightly understood from Scripture, we ought to be leery of and cautious of. It is sinful. That's why we really need to know what it is. And it's a problem that needs addressing. Now we get this right because what's James doing What does James do in the opening verses, or in these verses that I read to you this morning? What is he doing? He's confronting what? Worldliness. James, as a pastor, is confronting God's people concerning worldliness. And that's what pastors need to do. That's the job of the spiritual shepherds of Christ's sheep is to bring truth to bear upon our lives, our practices, and our activities. Now that's the role of ministers as we preach the gospel, as we teach the word of God, we are to what? Call sinners to Christ. And what are, what's the job then regarding those sinners who come to Christ? To disciple them in the word of God so that they're Their worldview will constantly change and be perfected and and align more and more with what? The truth of God's word. Pastors need to confront wrong behavior. They need to confront worldliness where they find it. And that's what James is doing. But secondly, it's not only the job of the pastor to do this. Parents ought to do it as well. Now, before I guess I get on into the, the, the job of the parents, I, I, I want to say something about a, a certain idea of ministry that I think is not just wrong, but it's aiding the kingdom of darkness. This, this wave of blackness and error that we see overtaking this nation and in the world. And other parts of the world. And that's the idea that the minister's job is more of friendship. That the minister's job is more of buddy. His job is more just to talk through these things, but never to convict, never to set forth the truth, never to hold anyone accountable. In fact, just this past week, concerning the sin of homosexuality, I heard professing christians ministers acknowledge well it's really not our job to say anything negative about that sin that's the god's job that's the role of of god in their life that's not my role my role is to just sort of be their friend and to be there for them now brothers and sisters we all want friends You know, who doesn't like a good friend? Who doesn't like someone that we can lean on when we need to? But the Bible tells us that an open rebuke is better than hidden love. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. You know the old commercial friends don't let friends drive drunk. Well, friends don't let friends, Christian friends, don't let Christian friends think erroneous things. Amen. Parents, and if that's true for ministers, isn't it true for friends and parents? How much more so is it true for parents that have a direct biblical command and admonition to what? Raise your children up in the admonition of the Lord. We see here that worldliness must be confronted. Worldliness must be addressed. Where it's found, where it's seen, where it pops up, where it manifests itself in the church body. Now let's talk about why we need to address it. Well, first of all, I want to address, I want to give you this morning, you've taken notes. I'm going to give you um, six, six fundamental truths regarding Worldliness. I'm going to give you six of them. And in these six, you're going to see why worldliness must be confronted. Why, when it's manifested, it must be addressed and dealt with. You're going to see that in these six. Number one, worldliness perverts the inner man. Look at verse 1. And two, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, James asked a question. He knows the the answer to the question. In fact, they know the answer to the question. And now he goes to answer, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? This idea that there are these lusts, these cravings. Now, a craving can be both positive and negative. It can be both good and bad, righteous and sinful. We can crave the Word of God. We can crave the Word of God, as Peter says, like a newborn baby craves, desires the milk of its mother. That's a good thing. We should crave a relationship with God, communion with God, closeness with God. Those are positive things. This is the opposite. Worldliness perverts the inner man why? Because these cravings are at war. They are craving that which is opposite of God, which what God forbids, God denies. God says stay away from. Him. God says it's harmful to you. James gives the picture of these soldiers, these This army ready to go to battle because these cravings are so strong, they are so powerful within us. All we can do is think about how we're going to have them. How we're going to obtain them. This desire, these desires, these lusts are so strong. All we do, what we do is we become fixated upon accomplishing those cravings, fulfilling those cravings and desires. At all cost. It's not just so much that you have to watch over what you want. We have to bring our wants into check. Is this a good thing? Is it possible? Is it in God's providence doable? Is it in God's providence and resources that these things are good for me? That's all important. Versus I want it, I desire it. All I think about it, all I think about is that, and I'm going to have it. James tells us that these, these cravings pervert and pollute the inner man. It's not the source of your pleasures, uh, is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust, you lust, you crave. That's the idea of craving insatiable craving and you do not have you so you commit murder you are envious because you cannot obtain you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask that's the second perversion we see there the second perversion is not only are these cravings and lusts overtaking our inner man that's all we think about That's all we're about. That's all we become consumed with these cravings, seeing that we obtain what it is we are wanting. And we want it so badly that we're willing to murder to get it. We're willing to become angry, jealous, and bitter to have it. We're willing to to break fellowship with other believers because they don't share our cravings. They don't share our point of view. I mean, if your craving is to be preeminent among God's people, you know, go back and you look at chapter 3, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. Right? You're going to receive a stricter judgment. And I'm convinced of this, and I think it holds true. And it's a, it's a black mark against preachers and teachers. But there's a lot of preachers and teachers that simply want to be preachers and teachers because they love telling other people what to do. They love... They love the dominance in their head. It should never be dominance. Leading is not dominance. There's authority. There's accountability. There's structure and order. That did not make it dominance. Why? Because... The church of Jesus Christ is a body of what? People that brought themselves into the fellowship and freely said, I believe in Christ. Who made you join the church? Who made you confess Christ as Lord? Who made you profess His name? Nobody. It's an association brought freely by your own will. And in subjection to spiritual rulers that Christ has placed over you to help you grow in grace. James sees this second perversion as something that is so... I mean, this is the obvious part, right? The, the, the inner man can be hidden at some point, right? We, can, we don't know. You know what? I look at you and I see a bunch of nice people. You look at me and you see a nice pastor, but you don't know what's going on in my heart. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what you're thinking right now. You don't know what I'm thinking right now preaching to you. You don't know the, 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 um, the cravings, the desires that I have. I don't know the craving and desires that you have. God does. God knows these things. And that's one reason why Paul wrote, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, that he said, look, the Word of God is effectual. How do we know we are apostatizing? If you go and read Hebrews chapter 4, how do you know that apostasy is at your doorstep? Well, the Word of God lays your heart open. That means He lays and exposes your desires open to yourself and you're able to see who you really are by looking at the Word of God. And you ought to take note when you see things Things in yourself that doesn't line up with Scripture. That you see things about yourself that doesn't conform to the truth of God's Word, and in fact, you see things in yourself that does not want the Word of God, that won't have the Word of God rule over you. That's what you see. James says that this worldliness, for it to be worldliness, not only corrupts and perverts the inner man, brothers and sisters, it perverts relationships. It may be that you don't really like being around some people because they are godly. And it might benefit you to actually be around some of these people. Something to think about, isn't it? And there are people you ought to stay away from. Because those people feed the cravings. They feed the desires. Those desires that are disruptive to your inner man. Those desires that are perverting your affections, your sensitivities. And we're going to get into some of these in a minute, but I want you to see... This train of thought that James is on here. Thirdly, we see a perversion of grace. Now, James is preaching to or writing to what? Believers. He's not talking to unbelievers here. In fact, he he deals with their prayers. and, And he says, you ask or in verse 2, the end of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. It seems like James has two different groups in mind. The first group won't ask in prayer because they're so intent on these cravings, they're going to get it themselves. They don't seem to be deceived by it. They seem to sort of be in touch with how deep and wrong these cravings are, but I'm going to have it anyway. That's wrong, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what my parents say, godly counsel. It doesn't matter what my preacher says, he rides hobby horses all the time. It just doesn't matter what the church says. I more identify with the the spirit of the world. I want to have what I want. And I will have what I want. I'm not even going to pray and ask God about it. I'm going to do it because, well, prayer falls by the wayside. There's a perversion of this grace. Now, the other group that James addresses here, he says, but you ask and you do not receive because why? God refuses to answer your own prayers because you're only going to spend it on your own cravings. And I'm not going to give you what you want. Again, demonstrating James's viewpoint. God is certainly in control and God's not at our beck and call. Amen. God is not some cosmic old man sitting up in heaven waiting and just agonizing over when you're going to ask for something and He's going to give you whatever you want. That's not God at all. That's a false God. That's not God. That's, a, that's in a made-up, imagination that's, a, that's an imagination making up a god in order to make someone feel better about what they're doing wrong he says god's not going to answer your prayers there's a perversion of grace here we prayed to get our answers our prayers answered and jesus encouraged us to pray whatever you ask in the name of my Father will be given to you. Is that not an invitation to pray? Can there be a better invitation to pray than my son, my daughter, ask whatever you will and according to the will of God it will be granted to you. That's an invitation to pray. That's an invitation to come and lay your 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 desires before God. That's an invitation to come and use the means of grace, isn't it? But worldliness perverts prayer. It perverts grace. Please, this morning, consider your prayer life. Consider the things you ask for. The things you pray for. Fourthly, Worldliness perverts our relationship with God. Look at verse 4. You adulteresses. Very strong, isn't it? You adulteresses. You do not know, or do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility to God? Then the Greek is so strong and emphatic and clear what what James is saying when when he says you adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God this is not a suggestion it's not an opinion this is not James just being preachy it's like me saying to you brothers and sisters don't you know this pulpit is made of wood and you, what's your response well of course that's the response that James is looking for when he brings out how strong this, this, this verbiage is right here. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And your response is, I know. I know. Absolutely it does. I know that. Adulteresses. I wish I could tell you that that word carries the weight it did when James used it. Adultery was a very sinful thing when James wrote this letter. And adultery has been considered a very evil and sinful activity in many cultures throughout many, many ages. But isn't it telling, isn't it telling that our own culture has no problem with adultery? They have no problem with adulteresses or adulterers. It just seems commonplace. In fact, it's exalted on TV. It's made light of, it's barely mentioned, it's not even worth noting, right? If, well, if they are adulterers, it's just part of the package. It's no big deal and if that's the case, then guess what? This is, not a, this is not a major rebuke, is it? It can only be a rebuke, brothers and sisters, if we have a biblical mind about adultery. What is James saying here? James is accusing those people who have fallen into the sin of worldliness of being unfaithful. Unfaithful. The idea, what is the church called? The bride of Jehovah in Isaiah. Paul calls the church the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5. The church body, all of us collectively, we are called the bride of Christ. What should a wife and a husband do for one another? They should be faithful, loyal, Committed. Resolute. An adulterer is someone who doesn't keep their promise. Hmm? Words don't really matter. I can promise something today, break that promise tomorrow. Big deal. I'm still a good person. That's the mindset of the world. You can be an adulterer in a worldly sense and really no one is going to bother you about it. But in the church, where you know better, it's a sin. Here, James is using the metaphor of adultery to describe the worldly Christian. The worldly Christian has perverted his or her relationship with God because they have proven themselves unfaithful to their promise, not loyal. To serve the Lord Jesus, His interests, to walk according to His Word, His light, His commandments, His laws, you know. No, worldliness is an orientation, it's a motive and method of how we live this life and how we think, right? That's what James is dealing with, he's dealing with motives, cravings, evil desires, jealousy, hatred, envy. Coveting your neighbor's possessions, intellect, prosperity, privileges. Wanting them for yourself and wanting them so much and so badly that you are the worldly person is willing to murder, cheat, lie, steal, fight, argue, divide to get them. Because nothing is greater and nothing else matters than what? The fulfillment of those cravings. And the Lord through James says, you are an adulterer. You've broken your promise. You've not kept your word. When you come to profess faith in Jesus Christ, to be loyal to Him, to call Him Lord, along with Savior. Now, was a... Unnecessary controversy about twenty years ago, sweeping through the church, and it was the idea that a person could be a be a Christian and 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 not have to obey the Word of God. He said, "Well, it's, it's you know you, you just need Christ as Savior, not Lord." Well, brothers and sisters, I'm listen to me now. You don't get Jesus as Savior without Him being Lord. <laughs> You can't have Jesus as Savior without Jesus as L-O-R-D, Lord. That means sovereign. That means king. That means master. That means boss. That means what he says goes. The worldly person is guilty of being an unfaithful person. Not loyal to the things of God and to the kingdom of God. I mean, they may profess loyalty with their lips, right? But they long for the world. Their lip service and their practice, the things they put their hands to, the things they enjoy most, are contradictions. I think it is telling. And I think it is a commentary on the worldliness that is prevailing in the body of Christ today, that there is no problem. There seems to be very little um, it, it it doesn't take much to excite someone to recreation, but it takes quite a bit to excite someone to worship. And study. That God's people seem to be very willing to have fun, but not as interested in discipleship. Notice what else it says about this relationship with God. It says that you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world, this kinship, that's the idea, this friendship is there is this. This um, um, the, word is, the word here is a kiss. You know, you don't mind kissing the world. You don't mind rubbing shoulders with the world. You don't mind putting your arm around the world and going, hey. There's this kinship. There's this affection for the world. Notice what it says. It says that it's hostility toward God. Now notice the text clearly, and don't read into it anything else than what you see there and before you. What it says is that you're at enmity. The worldly is at enmity with God. The worldly is at hostility. It has hostility toward God, not God toward the world, not God toward the worldly. What has the worldly person made himself in opposition to God? That's what it means. He's he's opposed to God. He doesn't support the kingdom of God. He doesn't support the things of God. I mean, even if he does with his lips, he never does it with his practice. He's opposed to God. He doesn't like the way God does things. And here's why I bring that up. Listening to a lot of social commentary it's very common for people to say, Well, I, I, I like God. Oh, I love God. I'm a believer. But there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. There's nothing wrong with murdering the right people. There's nothing wrong with murdering the unborn. But I love God. That's exactly what James is talking about. This is exact. James says, don't you know these things? Don't you know as you, as you hug and kiss on the world, as you show affection for the world, do you know what you have made yourself? You have made yourself an opposer to God. You have put yourself in opposition to the God of glory. Well, I like God. I just don't like the way God does things. I just don't like the Word of God. Have you ever been accused of being a Bible worshiper? You know, you tell people, you say, well, you know what the Bible says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm talking about God. And you're like, well, how do you know God? How do you know anything about God if you can't read what God wrote? That's a book, man. man. Men wrote that book. I'm talking about God. I know I have a relationship with God right here, right here. Well, what is James telling us? James is telling us our, our cravings are corrupt. Read the newsletter. And it'll tell you about how how depravity affects the way we feel and think about things. And shouldn't be trusted. Fifthly, worldliness perverts a proper understanding of the Word of God. Let's just say the worldly person wants to use God's Word. Look at what it says here in verse 5. It says, or do you not think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? That is, you don't think the Word of God has a purpose? Don't you know it has a purpose? Don't you know that God gave us His Word for a purpose? And of course, what's the answer to that? Of course. That's what James is doing. He wants us to go, well, of course it has a purpose. And then look at verse the rest of verse 5 it says he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Now I'm not going to go through all the different points but I'm going to just tell you what I believe that verse is saying because it's a hard verse. I believe what James is bringing out here is that this you can see the jealousy desires the spirit which he has made, that the Spirit of God, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if, if, if Christ has truly put his Spirit in you, that Spirit is yearning and longing and jealous for the truth of God's Word. That's what it's saying. But the worldly person perverts the understanding of God's Word. They dismiss it or they rewrite it. Isn't it amazing how we have now um, Bibles that are are in production, are uh, already on the shelf, that's gender neutral. Bibles that are pro-homosexual in order to highlight the relationship like David had um, with his friends, Jonathan. That there's all of these things in order to be, uh, their term is pro-queer in order to help the Bible support those types of things. well, What do we do when we crave something so much and we're willing to do whatever it is to have it, to get it, and, and in order to make it the norm, we have to do what with God's Word? If we're going to claim to be Christians and we know that God's Word is at the very foundation of Christianity, we just rewrite it. We just re- we reorientate it to fit our agenda. Brothers and sisters, that's no more than old-fashioned worldliness. It's nothing more than old-fashioned craving something so badly that you're willing to destroy, pollute, distort, and kill, and maim, and divide to get it and to have it. You know, it's, it's, it goes back to having this this... Being able to take the word of God and how many times have I sat down with, to counsel somebody who was in sin and to watch the way they used the word of God was distorted to justify themselves. And you all you all you have to take them back. And you before you even begin to teach them the truth, you've got to destroy their errors. You've got to destroy their idols. Why? Because their idols are keeping them from seeing clearly the Word of God. Distorting their thinking. Notice what James says here. And I probably won't have any time to go much further than this, but notice what James says here. He says, verse 5, Or do you think, think, think? What are you supposed to do with the Word of God? Think about it. Reason with it. Meditate over it. Digest it mentally. Eat it with your mind and your heart. You, you know, there's this. There's this error that is popular. You know that that, that religion doesn't affect the mind, it just has to deal with the heart. That's not true at all. Oh my. Can you imagine if that was true? You wouldn't need truth. If if religion was simply about emotions and and who could be who could cry the loudest and the longest, who could laugh the loudest and longest, who could exhibit joy the loudest and longest. I mean if that's I mean, you know, he who cries the most wins. He who laughs the most wins. He who is joyful in praising God the loudest wins the debate. That's just not not good. No, God gave us a mind to think and to reason, to contemplate, discern, judge with. And the way we think affects the way we feel. How we feel about things is directly connected with what we think about the truth but again brothers and sisters we live in strange days no doubt because you a preacher can can just a preacher can make this statement you adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward god well that's your opinion and and people go brilliant 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 Deep, intellectual, and I'm mocking, and I'm being sarcastic. That's not an opinion. It's a statement of fact. It's an indicative phrase. It's a statement of, it's a point of truth that will be true whether we believe it or not. You see, this, this mentality that I can reject it and shrug it off as an opinion or as some other thing somehow removes the responsibility from me. Really? Worldliness, brothers and sisters, will pervert the way you use Scripture. You see why James has to deal with worldliness, right? I mean, you, all of these things hopefully have been building a case that what? you got to confront worldliness in the church, don't you? What happens to churches that, does, that do not... or What happens to churches that will not confront worldliness? They cease in time to be true churches. Why? Well, if worldliness is an orientation to motives and methods that are contrary to God, what does the church end up becoming the fruit of? Those things that are opposed and contrary to God. And if they are opposed and contrary to things of God, can they be a church? That's important, isn't it? You know, people... Hurting people pull in places that have church outside. They don't know what's on the inside. And you don't know what you're going to hear on the inside. An open rebuke is better than hidden kisses. An open rebuke is better than hidden kisses. Um. One more thing, and we're we're, we're going to close with this, and we'll finish it next week. Last perversion. This is number six. Worldliness perverts one's sense of reality, and I've already touched on it. I don't need to spend much more time with it, but it per, it it perverts one's sense of reality, and, and this is. Implied when James brings up in verse 4, right? Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? There's a lot of people that don't know that they're in opposition to God. There's a lot of people walking around in church today preachers being among them they don't know that they are opposing God they don't know they're at, that, that they are at war with God they don't know these things why? because they have adopted this mindset that God doesn't really care what you practice or what you believe just acknowledge Him call Him Savior and you're good to go you've got all the fire assurance you need He's going to save you He would never cast anybody into hell God is such a good God He would never want to thwart, stifle, or harm your sense of pleasure. That's wrong. God not only saves us out of darkness, but He saves us to the kingdom of light. To. The word to is important. It means we're going somewhere. The word to conveys what? Movement. Saved from to something. We're saved out of sin to righteousness who defines that righteousness who tells us what is righteous and this is a bigger problem than you might think and this is why churches fracture this is why churches split this is why when churches try to be churches there are some that says pastor that's your opinion we're not going to do these things we're going to leave you're being a tyrant. You're being a bully. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of books being written right now, and I think rightly so. I think it's a, important of, of ministerial bullying, ministers who bully their congregations, abu- that are abusive, oppressive. I think can be a problem. I think these are part of the people that James speaks about in chapter three, verse one. Don't be, don't be so quick to want to be a teacher, want to be preeminent over others. See, I think those are, that's the people that James is, is dealing with here. But there's also that group of people that won't be nurtured. They won't be shepherded. Everything's fine as if it's everybody else. Pastor, you need to go deal with that. I've I've seen it in my own ministry. Pastor, you need to go deal with that person. we got to do what's right. But then when it comes time for them to be addressed, guess what happened? You're a bully. You're an oppressor. You're overstepping your bounds. You're a tyrant. And we got to warn everybody in the church about you. And they split churches. That's worldliness. That's worldliness. That's a whole perversion of reality. Brothers and sisters, listen to me, and I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. Worldliness will pervert your sense of reality, you don't see things properly. Because you've already abandoned the very source of truth that God has given you to live by. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Take heart and encouragement, brothers and sisters, because what we're going to learn next week is how to overcome worldliness. Next week we're going to see how to overcome it. And we overcome it by submitting ourselves and coming back to God. Renewing that promise. If you're here this morning and maybe you are convicted that you are a promise breaker. And not a promise keeper. Guess what? The Lord Jesus stands here with his arms wide open. And his message is to you this morning, come, I'll forgive you. Come and repent of your sins, and I'll cleanse you. I'll restore you, and I'll begin fellowshipping with you. And we can have fellowship with one another. Brothers and sisters, our Lord stands ready to hear your repentance, my repentance, and to receive us back into his good graces, and to begin to sort out the things going on in us and how we, if any way, fractured anything outside of us. The Lord is the healer. Let's pray.